A really warm welcome to the latest Clear Cruise podcast. The only thing you need to listen to to keep up to date on all things cruise. And it is a bit of a monumentous episode this time because at time of recording, and that's the beginning of May 2021, I'm pleased to say that cruising will be restarting in UK waters in the next couple of weeks. Now, of course, we will not be the first country in the world to have seen the resumption of cruising. That honour goes to some of our European colleagues and friends and also out in Asia as well. But one of the brands that has spearheaded some of that restart over recent months has been MSC Cruises. And so it's no coincidence that uh, in this episode of our podcast, I'm chatting to Bud Dar, the Executive Vice President, Maritime Policy and Government Affairs at MSC Cruises. And I'll be chatting to him about some of the protocols and the work that's gone into cruise resumption. And indeed, we'll be chatting about what the cruise experience is like. How much has it been changed by the global pandemic? Uh, I have two other guests as well. Uh, Ollie Smith, he is TV personality, wine expert and a food hero for P&O Cruises. And I'll be chatting to Ollie Smith about his way into the wine industry. But importantly for our podcast, uh, we've also spoken to him about how he got into the cruise industry. I'm also going to chat to Ollie about Iona, the brand new ship from P&O Cruises. And talking of new ships, our third special guest is Joe Jamoska from Celebrity Cruises. Uh, and that follows a big reveal this month all about Celebrity Beyond, the third ship in the series of Edge Class uh, ships. Uh, so once again, thank you for joining our Clear Cruise podcast. We have a packed episode for you and we can't wait to see you again very soon. Thank you for listening. So I'm delighted to have been joined by Bud Dyer, the Executive Vice President, Maritime Policy and Government Affairs. Uh, Bud, good to see you again. Um, I should add to your job description that you are one of the global experts in this area. So given that and the fact that your diary will have been full anyway before COVID-19, how has is, how is the last 12 months been? It's been interesting, it's been challenging, and it's been uh, exhausting. Uh, there's a lot of responsibility uh, to, to take care of, first of all, our, our guests on the, on the front end and our guests again, now that we're, we're operating. Uh, a lot of responsibility to take care of our crew members who've been just tremendous heroes, not only in our cruise division, but throughout uh, the entire enterprise for the MSC group and uh, all that while also managing our, our own internal staffs. So and I know many other people out there have had the same sorts of challenges, but uh, it's taken a huge amount of effort and work, but it's been worth it. And it's at these times where you see whether you really believe in what you're doing. I believe in what I'm being asked to do. And I, I feel fortunate to, to have this role and uh, be able to continue to play it. But I have stopped sleeping uh, for the most part. And I uh, just to make enough hours in the day. And I have thoroughly enjoyed being home every night with my wife for the last 14 months, which is yeah. a, a pleasure I've, I've never enjoyed in my entire professional career. Sleep is often overrated, I tend to think anyway. Um, you obviously take a global view. So has has the response to the cruise industry been different in different parts of the world? It's been quite different, Andy. I, and, and the major differences have been where you see us operating and operating safely and responsibly and, and successfully, 
the major difference has been the authorities have really wanted to find a solution to these problems that are out there and challenges that have to be solved and work with us to solve the problems as quickly but safely as possible and, and find the right balance. Where it hasn't happened, um, the attitude of the authorities has been different. You know, they've just taken a much more conservative view because they really did not necessarily want to see the industry get up and going sooner. And that's still the trend right now, but you will have noticed lots and lots of announcements. Um, I think we've gotten to that tipping point where there's been enough demonstration that this can be done safely and responsibly, and that the cruise lines do have good protocols in place that they've learned a lot from, they've shared experiences. And I think that's really helped build the confidence of, of the authorities, particularly in the places where we've already been operating, but also in neighboring countries that are looking to them for uh, for guidance on what their experience was so that they can build it into their own. And even in some of the harder to crack countries um, to, to find an opening to be able to begin operations again, we're starting to see some progress we hadn't seen before. When you look back, because MSC have obviously played a, a really important role in that restart story that we've had over the past six months. So how, how important was it for MSC to be operating in Europe and, and how important is it to tell that story to other countries? It's very important to us. The origins of our company are here in Europe. It, it really is still uh, our, our largest market, even though we have global reach and, and particularly through the, uh, the larger enterprise, not just MSC Cruises. Um, so it was really important to us to, to start here first. And it, it, it felt like it would be the best fit. And we also had a higher level of experience and trust working with the authorities, which kind of helped us do that. And uh, we have felt that that experience and, and we knew we wanted to go early, but we wanted to do it right. And so we think we found the right balance in that. We knew that would help us in not only uh, learning and evolving our operations as we were able to begin to expand them, as you're seeing occurring now uh, in earnest, but also to share what we've learned with others in the industry and vice versa and feed off of each other so that we can uh, really find what are the best practices and what's effect effective in certain circumstances and maybe what's more effective in others. And we, we feel like we've accomplished that to date and, and we've never stopped learning. And uh, we are just continuing to evolve all the time and work through this process and collaborate with our fellow cruise lines. Yeah, it's been very exciting for us to watch the restart of operations in Europe. And certainly it sets the, the tone for the UK moving forward into the summer. Um, let, let's let's change the subject slightly and talk about the customer, the guest experience. So from a guest experience, how different, what will, you know, what will they see that's different on board? They're going to see a few things that are, are different for sure. And some things that mirror the kind of protective measures that they see ashore. And that's really one of the principles of, of how we have operated since August of last year is that uh, we don't go very far astray um, from the protective measures shoreside where the, the ship is actually calling. Um, and in some cases we go above and beyond, but we think that those are the necessary things to do. So you're gonna see face masks, you're going to see uh, social distancing measures, you're going to see uh, reduction of, of touch points to the maximum extent possible, um, reducing some of the face-to-face -face interaction with our staff, because we really have to protect our seafarers too. I think um, there's a far greater chance actually of seafarers uh, being infected from uh, a passenger than there is the other way around, because we have additional protective measures um, for them. And so um, we have to look for their health and also 
if, if, if one of them were to get infected, the potential is there to kind of multiply that. So you'll see some, um, some of the interactions change a bit. You'll see more space. Uh, because we're operating at substantially below our maximum capacities, the guest experience could be really great because the relative ratio of crew members to guests is very different than on a normal cruise. And you know, we've got an operation, some of our, our best and newest ships um, that are not operating anywhere near capacity so that we can maintain these protective measures, which is really a nice experience because they're great ships with great venues and lots of things to do either on the ship or ashore yeah some beautiful ships coming and we're looking forward to virtuoso being based out of southampton of course um in terms of crew you mentioned crew there in terms of the the procedure the process of them getting up and running and, and welcoming guests on board is presumably training and getting them into the the right mode it has been an important part of restart as well absolutely andy it, it it's one thing to think about what you'd want to do. It's another thing to create a set of procedures and protocols. It's another thing to actually execute. And until you've gotten to that last stage, you really haven't accomplished that much. So it always was really a cornerstone and something we focused on a lot. And keep in mind, we drew down all of our ships down to just the minimum levels that it took to safely maintain the ships in a, in a layup status to then go back to restaffing the ship in a lot of cases with crew members that had no experience on that ship or maybe that particular right. type of ship. And they left a world that's very different than the one they're coming back to on board. So developing training and working with some outside experts to help us with that, and also designating some new positions on board to help facilitate that were really important to make sure that before the guest experience actually ever occurs, we've got the staff in a good position to understand what the new protocols are, what their responsibilities are underneath them, and what an important role that they play in, in keeping this, this safe environment on board, which is so critical because we have to get this right. Uh, we really do have to get it right and do our very best. And I feel um, that not only can we do that, but that we have been doing that. And those companies that have been operating continuously, um, including MSC, I, I think are working really hard at that every single day. Yeah, the crew, such an important part of the cruise experience. Um, the, the venues on board ships are also important as well to the guest experience. So they will be fully open, but they, they may operate in slightly different way. It, it depends on, you know, case by case, but for the most part, there's plenty of venues. Um, is everyone going to be open every time? Probably not, right. but uh, they'll, they'll be open as the demand is there and the guest feedback's been great, particularly uh, Virtuos is a great example. I mean, there's, there's 10 different dining options mm. and 21 uh, lounges on board and uh, just all sorts of, of, of great venues and, and the guest feedback's been, been excellent. And, uh, you know, those that get to enjoy that while we're still operating at, at these lower capacities are going to have an excellent experience on board. And that's a feedback that we've gotten so far, not just from guests out in the general community, but my colleagues and have taken their families on, on cruises on Grandiosa and universally have come back and said, what a, what a great experience that was for them. And uh, Virtuosa is a very, very similar ship to, to Grandiosa. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people in the UK who can't wait to get on, on board a ship. Um, another aspect of the guest experience is shore excursions. So those will also look slightly different as we go into restart, presumably. They will, Andy. And uh, really, I think one of the, 
the cornerstones to what made us feel comfortable in, in restarting, um, not just operating cruises to nowhere, but calling on various ports and international cruises as we have been operating uh, in the Mediterranean was protected shore excursions or bubble type of shore excursions. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's just not safe, according to uh, our own examination, as well as detailed consultation with our, our Blue Ribbon uh, COVID expert panel, uh, which is external, um, to, to, to relax that. And so um, we, we really need to make sure that shore excursions are not independently directed. Um, you, you just can't get off the ship and walk around anymore. And, and some people uh, would prefer they be able to do that, but it, it's just not the world that we're in at the moment. So what they are going to find is a very safe environment. And we've partnered with the right shore excursion providers in where we've operated before and where we're going to operate in the UK. And also as other uh, operating theaters open up for us uh, the same that will maintain equivalent levels of safety and protection for our guests. So you're going to see masks, you're going to see social distancing, you're going to see time allocations. And what you won't see behind the scenes is the protective measures for the staff, for the shore excursion providers as well. And in addition to uh, further disinfection and, and cleaning measures and, and reporting protocols that we have uh, with them. And, and we've been very diligent about how we've managed that with our partners in places we've already operated. And we've built those relationships and it, you know, it, works, it works pretty well. And, and you know, at some point I, we'll go back to something that looks more like normal, but society's not in a normal place right now. And we need to be quite conservative, not just to protect the individual guests, but to protect the rest of the guests on board, protect our crew, and consequently protect also the people in the communities where our ships are calling. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, we, we've been saying to the, the government in the UK, as you know, we've been saying it's been very, very much a phased return to service for crews around the world. So in terms of the MSC next steps, uh, Virtuosa obviously for the UK, but new ships coming uh, and being entered into service. Um, new ships are coming and in, in entering into service. We're going to take MSC Seashore later this year. We're really excited about that. Uh, we have not canceled uh, any orders that we've we've had under contract. Uh, you know, we're of course like everyone else assessing the the longer term prospects, but we're really continuing to uh, recapitalize our fleet with bigger and uh, in some cases bigger, um, but more modern ships with more and more features, uh, both front of the house to enhance the guest experience, but also back of the house and things they won't see in the energy efficiency and environmental protection technology um, that, that really with every single ship and type of ship we're delivering takes another evolutionary step forward. We've not let up on any of that. And we right now, even though we're not sure yet exactly what will turn into an act, you know, a firm order book, we're working on several developmental projects that are really exciting for the future that not only address that guest experience, but keep our ships really being cutting edge, not just for the cruise industry, but for the entire maritime community. And it's really fun and exciting to be part of those projects, which I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to to have a role in myself. And is there something you're particularly excited about for the next couple of months? You you must be very excited about the opportunity for the UK restart and presumably restart in other parts of the world. 
we're really excited about the UK because uh, so far our operations have been limited to, you know, one area of the Mediterranean and we're, you know, we've made announcements and we're uh, anticipating continued operations and expanding in the Mediterranean, but the UK on May 20th is really big for us. Uh, I think it's not just big for us as MSC cruises, but it's big for the whole cruise community that, you know, we really can get this going again. And, and all those people that rely on us ashore for their livelihoods, as well as those that rely on us for good vacation options. And we value the relationships with all of them can finally have those needs sort of met again. So I'm very, very excited about not only restarting in the UK, but starting with Virtuoso. I mean, it's, yeah. it's our, our newest ship with all the best features. And as we look in other places now on the map, starting to light up in, in, in ways I can't disclosed yet because it's still <laughs> in the planning stages, yeah. but there's more coming. And I'm really excited to see the whole industry and from a parochial standpoint, MSC Cruises start to come back to life and, and, and live into its potential again. We were offering great, exciting, high value vacation options before the pandemic, uh, all of society, including the cruise sector, but we've been hurt, you know, certainly more than most have had to adapt it's really, really an exciting watershed moment to see us starting to emerge from that again and begin to offer that same sort of value proposition again, because uh, it'll be a great, high value, excellent vacation option once we emerge from the backside of, of this you know, very, very difficult year and a half or so we've all been struggling through. Thank you. Well, and you, I share your excitement, of course. So um, good luck. Good luck with everything in the UK and your continued return to service. Thank you very much for joining us and for your continued and for everything that you do for the cruise industry. But uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Andy. It's absolutely been my pleasure and I look forward to continuing to work with you and everyone else in our community as we continue down this journey, not just through the pandemic, but yeah. even looking farther downrange because I really do think the future is very bright for, for this sector and those that like it and those that rely upon it. Thank you. So delighted to be joined by a very, very special guest appearing courtesy of our friends at P&O Cruises, and that is uh, Mr. Ollie Smith. Thank you very much for joining uh, us this afternoon. How are you? Ali, I'm doing really well. I'm thriving. I'm, I'm, literally, I'm so buoyant on the thought of returning to the, the high seas. And actually, do you know what I've really missed? Is, is hospitality, is pouring a glass for people. You know, it's that lovely exchange of opinions. I've always felt with wine, it's really a dialogue, isn't it? Everybody's got their own favourites. We've all got our own particular taste. It's like anything in life. There's no right or wrong. It's what you fancy and when you fancy it. And that's what I love to do in the glass house on Piano Cruises. I like to give that moment and I've missed it. So I'm thrilled that soon enough we shall be back. It, and it is an amazing place, the Glass House, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But you're right, it is that chance that we have now to mix and mingle and, and see people. And, and uh, you know, a glass of wine is always a positive part of that relationship as well. Um, let's start back a bit, because how did you end up being such a wine expert? I mean, obviously, you do lots of other things as well, but a wine expert you're probably best known for. It's a funny old story. I began my life in wine as a delivery person. So I was working in the cellar of a wine shop called Orange and Company Vintners in the Channel Islands in Jersey. So uh, for those who know uh, Jersey well, it was around the back of the Weybridge in St. Helier. And I would take my little delivery trolley and I would deliver the boxes of wine. 
And I realized that I didn't know anything at all about what was inside them. And yet the people taking delivery seemed to be very excited indeed about what was inside. So I took it upon myself to kind of learn some of the names and some of the flavors. And it was at the time when Australian wine really was coming in waves over to the UK. And they were speaking about wine in plain English and the flavors were fruity and fun and upbeat. And I thought, this is the stuff for me, I love it. So I, I slowly but surely began to piece together the idea that wine should be about informality, it should be about good value, enthusiasm. It's not about the person who's actually selling the wine or providing the wine, it's about the person who's enjoying it. It's about their personal preferences. And I went on from working in a wine shop to taking various qualifications in wine. The, the short story, to be honest, Andy, is I entered a reality TV show called Wine Idol, which was very much like Pop Idol in every regard, except not many people saw Wine Idol. But I went on to win it, and the prize was an audition to go on to TV, to go on to Great Food Live, which in those days was on satellite telly. So I, I got my audition, and I went on Great Food Live, they kept booking me and then I was seen for shows like Taste on Sky One and then suddenly Saturday Kitchen, the Richard and Judy Wine Club and the rest, as they say. And I'm so grateful for all of the opportunities because really and truly it's about the wine growers themselves. It, they, they put in so much passion, such devotion to those wonderful flavours that we all enjoy now from all over the world and especially in England, you know, in Wales as well. We've had some since I started in wine, if you think you know, 20, 25 years ago, there wasn't much wine here in the UK. Now, I'm pretty sure most people listening will have certainly become aware of wine from Britain, if not actually tasted and enjoyed one. Yeah, and, and actually, you're, you're quite right, because when I was growing up, there was probably the choice of one or two different uh, bottles of wine in the supermarket, and that was it. So what led to that? What is a transformation in the way people consume wine? I think you've nailed it. I think the supermarkets had a lot to do with it. And growing up, my, my dad was a teacher, mum was a nurse. I think we had wine once a year at Easter, if I remember rightly. They'd crack a bottle of Santa Milion and that would be it. Um, but I think it was the fact that it became available. And because in those days, the UK wine industry was a small one, we imported wine from all over the world. So it wasn't just France and Germany and Italy and Spain. It was Argentina. It was Chile. It was New Zealand. It was Australia. And these days it's India and it's Mexico. There's always a new frontier of flavour. And that's what keeps me engaged and excited. So the chance to find the next grape, to get the next food pairing, put it in front of somebody and hopefully delight them. Oh, I find it irresistible. I love it. And how do you how on earth do you keep up with all the different varieties and flavours? Because um, there's, there's not just different grapes, there's different wine regions, there's there's different techniques. How, how do you keep up? There's two main ways in in. Um, in freer times, it would be traveling to visit the vineyards mm -hmm. and actually eyeballing the wine grower and tasting through ranges. And you very quickly get a handle on, for example, you know, how the crop did in 2020, say in Marlborough in New Zealand. If you're there, you've got all the wines, you've visited all the wineries. That's a wonderful way of doing it. Plus, you know, you can you can sort of go go forward and become you know, you can become almost ambassadorial about those places and what they stand for, what the flavours are like. So in the other way I, I tend to do it actually is by wine samples. So people very nicely, kindly send me wine samples and I evaluate them. I, I tend to do it in almost laboratory-like conditions so that I can really focus in and finesse on certain types of wine from certain regions. And it's when you compare them back to back, actually, that you realise some of them sing and some of them, for whatever reason, just don't quite deliver. And my job is really, it's almost a filter out the ones that are okay in favour of finding the ones that are glorious, that just fill the world with jubilant joy. 
And then, you know, if you really feel that way and you feel connected about it, the job is easy, to be honest, because they stay with you in the mind. And I can't wait to recommend them. I kind of think, you know, like if, if I was going to recommend you, why don't you like recommending something to a friend? I'd want to do it. I'd be delighted to do it as well. Um, and presumably there is a link between the price you pay for a bottle and the quality or the taste of that wine. But is that is that link always true? It's a really good question. And I would say it's not always true. I don't think you have to pay a fortune to enjoy good wine. I've had fantastic wine that costs a fiver and sometimes less. Um, I think it's harder to find wines that are less expensive, that are really phenomenal. And when you do, that's the gold. That's the thing I really live for because I think it should be accessible to all. You know, my motto has always been all for wine and wine for all. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of should be quite relatively straightforward to pay a lot of money for something and for it to be really good. You sort of expect that. So in a way it's when you find a wine that's under a tenner that really just makes you think, ah, oh, this is heaven. You know, that's what gets me really excited. And I love also championing lesser known regions, you know, whether it's countries like Greece or Hungary, or even rem remembering places like Chile that have such diverse wine styles, you know, and that tend not to use a lot of herbicides and pesticides because the climate's very dry. So you get a very kind of, it's, it's, I can't say that it's fully organic, but I can certainly say that the way they make the wine feels to me just so, oh, it's just almost like a direct mainline right to the place, soil, sky, mountain sea all surrounding those wonderful vineyards i absolutely love everything about wine the geography apart from anything else i could witter on all afternoon about this actually. no it's do you just, know and, it's just... <laughs> and i could absolutely listen to you all day but i've got two more questions on wine if you don't mind before we move on to other things and the, the first question is more of a a statement i guess but on a couple of cruise holidays i've been on we visited some vineyards and there really is a science to growing great grapes presumably and and as you say that differs between countries does it that science a hundred percent so different traditions in different places so for example if you're on a cruise and you're going to say north uh, northwestern spain galicia you know very kind of green and verdant place they might train their vines quite high up off the ground to avoid mildew to avoid any kind of dampness surrounding them you know whereas if you are in somewhere like south america much more sun exposure you want to kind of find ways to shelter those vines from the sun so you're bang on depending on where you are in the world and what kind of soil you've got as well you know if you've got you know, great big stony soils that keep heating up in the day and radiate heat at night. You know, you might want to think about what effect that will have on the wine. Conversely, you might be somewhere quite cool, halfway up a mountain. The gradient, literally everything about the vineyard, as you'll have experienced from visiting them, counts towards the character of the wine. It's just, it's a never ending little matrix of marvellousness. Yeah, and I love that expression. And, uh, but actually I had a whole respect for the people who grow wines because there's so many, there's so much involved in that. My last question on wine just quickly is, does how you consume it or what else you're eating or whether you're outside or inside, does that affect the overall taste? Oh, that's a brilliant question. Um, yes, it does. I mean, food pairings absolutely do. You know, there's a big difference, you know, if you imagine a piece of plain fish and then a piece of fish and a spicy curry sauce. So that is gonna inevitably impact the wine. Um, with food and wine pairing, I always think just follow your instincts, go with what you love. Even if you think it's not a classic, it really doesn't matter. If you take enjoyment from it, that really is all that counts. I mean, there are some absolute classics, you know, I think people would say red wine and hard cheese, actually with a cheese board, 
one to think about. I really like pairing a white wine. It allows almost all the cheese flavours to flourish. If you think about all the intensities, all of the different textures, not to say a red wine couldn't do it, but a white wine will just step back a bit and allow all of them to go. So yes, inside and outside as well, if it's a windy day, you won't be able to uh, enjoy the aromas quite as much. But as ever with these things, it's about the mood you're in. You might want to sit outside and enjoy a glass and for it to feel quite informal. On the other hand, you might have a special bottle. You might want to really zero in on it inside, have a great chat with someone. I always say, mate, let the wine be the star if it's a top bottle. Just get something really simple, nice hunk of Parmesan cheese, have a great chat with someone and enjoy the bottle. Sounds wonderful. I I can't wait to leave my attic to do all of that. Um, (laughs) Let's talk about P&O Cruises. You've been involved with them for a while. So how did that relationship develop? It was a wonderful, wonderful moment, actually, when I began talking with P&O Cruises about a wine bar. And the conversation was along the lines of, have you any ideas about how a wine bar might work? And I had an idea about serving all wines by the glass. So inevitably, that leads to you and I might want different things for lunch. We can each have a different glass. You can explore the range of 32 (laughs) different wines. I wanted to lay out the list by styles rather than price you know, zesty and fresh or fruity and mellow to make it really straightforward for people to make those choices and for every wine to have a food pairing. So if you want a recommendation, it's there. And if you want to go freestyle, of course, it's completely fine. And it, it was just a, a wonderful conversation in that Pino Cruises had had a very similar ideas. So we came together on the design, the look, the feel of the glass house. And in my entire relationship with them, I found them to be completely fantastic at embracing new ideas, really allowing me to go and explore the world of wine and bring, you know, I I try and bring wines that have a connection with cruises as often as I can. Equally, though, if I'm really passionate about a wine, I just want it there for people to experience it. Yeah. So so the glass house is kind of the result of those conversations, which started on one ship, I think, on Azura, but has spread across the, pretty much the fleet. So what explain the glass house kind of environment, because there's great food, there's obviously great wine, but it's a great place to meet people as well. I'm really happy to hear you say that, Andy, because I love the glass house all day long and all evening yeah. long. It really does feel like a welcome, welcoming place. You know, people of all ages, kids are welcome. It's very informal. So it doesn't matter what time of the day it is. If you want a light bite, if you want a full meal, you might want to do one of my wine tastings that are all laid out for you. There are obviously wine masterclasses. There's you know, decent food and good views. Um, we pride ourselves that the whole team, you know, I, I love my team in the glass house. We all work hard, but they really are the heart and soul of it. They love the guests on board and they want to make sure that everybody has the best experience possible. So whether you're new to wine or whether you're a connoisseur and you love the stuff, there's a welcome waiting for you at the glass house anytime. Yeah, I, I, I remember on one particular cruise, I think we went in for a, a short while, but actually we end up staying for a couple of hours trying some of the different food and some of the different wines. It was a, a wonderful way to spend an afternoon. Um, the, the Glass House is also going to feature on Iona, of course. So is the Glass House a different experience on Iona? I'm so excited about the Glass House on Iona. When I think about the sheer amount of light so the clues in the title, the glass house, you know, we yeah. want natural light flooding through so that you can see the wine. I mean, it is going to be a spectacular place to enjoy, obviously, glasses of wine. The menu as well, though. I've just been doing the last minute tweaks, actually, to some of the food pairings because there are brand new ones on board. I couldn't be more excited about Iona when I think of you know, Gary Barlow's involvement, you know, he in the, in the 710 Club. I hear on the grapevine he's created two cocktails, actually, two Negronis. Oh. 
one involving Terry's. And actually, knowing Gary a little bit as I do, he does love a drop. So I bet they're going to be scrumptious. Are we going to see you sing along with Gary, by the way, at some point? Well, I, I'm now going to say yes. And Gary has to do it because I've <laughs> said yes. And uh, I'd love to do it with Gary. I mean, you know, the, the thought of him, he's just an absolute treasure of a person. He, he really is the, he's the kind of dream of who you'd want to spend an evening in a glass of wine with, really. You know, he's funny, he's erudite, he's warm, he's down to earth. And he's brilliant at music. He's the musical director of, I mean, can you imagine on board, you might get the chance to see him play. You might get the chance to hear him sing. You'll certainly hear his wonderful work though. Absolutely outstanding. Yeah, can't wait. Can't wait for Iona and to, to get on board and to head to the glass house. Um, I should just mention your podcast because you know you were talking about Gary Barlow and some of the other people that you may meet on the cruises. Of course, what lays behind the podcast. So tell us a bit about it. Well, my podcast is called A Glass With, and the format is really just me sharing a glass or, or two uh, with somebody in the public eye who enjoys a drop. So we've had all sorts of guests over the years. I've had Sting on the podcast. I've had Pink, the pop star. Uh, Sir Michael Parkinson was brilliant. Uh, it's baffling to me as to why these people would want to come on. I, mean, we had, I had Kylie Minogue the other day. She was amazing. And she's making her own wine. And I must persuade her to come on board, actually. I could see her sipping a glass of right. Maribel gin from the distillery on Iona. Um, but I love I love the connections that, that drinks make. You know, you might be a whiskey fan. I just had Gareth Malone, and he loves his whiskeys. And really, it's, it's the way that people loosen up after a couple of sips that frames a, a very kind of a conversation that isn't so much about career as about their life story. So, yeah, I love to do it. And obviously it's free to download on wherever you find your podcasts. And it's the eighth series. Is that right? So it's obviously yes. going a while. Yeah, yeah. We're just about to start series nine, actually, as well. And um, yeah, I'm really thrilled with the, the sort of longevity of it. And I think part of it is easy to to access it. You can find it on my website, ollysmith.com. But it's it's the fact that it's free that really is, is the chance to, you know, just give people the, the next idea about what might be in their glass. Yeah, wonderful. Ollie, thank you so much for your time. I, we really appreciate you joining us and sharing your expertise and excitement around wine. And we can't wait to see you on board a P&O Cruises ship very soon. Thank you very much. Hurrah. All are welcome. I'm raising my glass to you. So delighted to be joined by Joe Jamoska. You are Vice President and Managing Director of Celebrity Cruises and a great advocate for the industry as well. And you've got some really exciting news. How great to be talking about new ships. Oh, I know, I know. Isn't it wonderful? After uh, the 18 months that we've all had uh, as an industry overall, very, very excited to talk to you about Celebrity Beyond today. Very much so. Yes, thank you very much indeed for, for being our special guest today. Um, I'm going to take you back, if you don't mind, a little bit to uh, the launch of Edge, because that was really a big thing for Celebrity Cruisers, which I think, so this goes back to 2018, I think, for her christening and her maiden voice. So how big a change was Edge for Celebrity? Oh, a significant change. So it was a new, the, the start of a new series. Um, and it really was a significant change. The key change really, Andy, was is that all of the designers had never been involved in ship design before. Um, and, you know, working with our incredible new build team. Um, but that was really the big change. And they brought a very fresh look to that in design and feel. And they, they challenged us in, in ways that people who've spent their life building ships don't. So that's, that was really the biggest change for us. And we reaped the rewards of, uh, of Celebrity Edge when she came out because she was truly recognised as being, uh, you know, revolutionary and really different for the sector. 
She, she's a beautiful ship, and I know you've brought it in for a clear conference in the past, but it's a beautiful ship. Uh, and then you've had Apex since, but Beyond is something different again. Well, it is, but you just just skipping over that lovely middle sister as people well, there's often lots of do ships. with <laughs> often do with middle children. Our wonderful celebrity apex. You know, she was born, bless her. She's yet to have guests on her. Yeah. So you know, she was due to be here last year. Unfortunately, the pandemic had another idea uh, due to be here in Southampton. Uh, but she is coming back to Greece. She's going to be in Greece this summer, sailing the Greek Isles. Let's not forget our lovely celebrity Apex. Um, but yes, she's now been joined by an even littler sister who's taking away from her glory um, at Celebrity Beyond. And uh, she's she's even a bit different again. Yeah. So and I was reading up on some of the key facts uh, about Beyond and she's she's going to be longer and slightly taller. So presumably that that was a conscious decision to enhance what was already uh, on show on Edge, for example. She, you're absolutely right. And a little snippet of information. Celebrity Apex was going to be called Celebrity Beyond. Ah. And then Lisa lutoff Perlo, our president CEO, said, hang on a minute. I've got some ideas for the verbs in, in class in series so let's not call a let's call the second one apex celebrity apex and let's wait for the third one to be called celebrity beyond and why because you're right she's actually 20 meters longer so about 60 feet longer and she's got an extra deck as well and that really is just linked to space so even pre-pandemic the the we were really looking at you know what our guests say which is they love the design they love the outdoor space so we thought, great, let's bring some more outdoor space. And that was really for the retreat area, the suite class area. Um, and the big difference there is that is now two storey, uh, two deck uh, retreat area. Yeah, we'll, we'll come to retreat, but it's, uh, we, we should go to one of those other things that's really exciting from a UK perspective. And that is uh, the ship's maiden voyage is going to be from Southampton. It is. And isn't that wonderful? Amazing. Um, so, uh, literally about in a year's time, April the 27th, she'll be setting sail from Southampton to Barcelona um, on her first 10 night maiden voyage, um, doing some wonderful itineraries uh, on en route uh, to, to Spain, uh, wonderful stops en route to Spain. But even more exciting is that we will be holding a little sneak preview in Southampton uh, before she sets sail. Just for a few close friends, is that the plan? <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, Andy, that uh, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Beyond won't be saying in Europe, is that right? She'll be heading off to, to other waters. Oh, she knows. She, so during the summer, she'll be Barcelona and Rome doing nine, 10, 11 nights. So she's doing wonderful itineraries throughout the Mediterranean. And then she will go set sail um, across the Atlantic and spend her first winter, 22, 23 in the sunny Caribbean. Fantastic. Um, you mentioned um, Kelly Hoppen was involved in Edge and Apex, of course. Uh, so presumably really involved in Beyond as well. Oh, and even more so, actually, even more so. So you're absolutely right. So Kelly designed all of the retreat area, the suite class area, all of the suites, our Edge Villas, our two-story Edge Villas and our two iconic suites at the fore of the ship. Um, and uh, she's absolutely redesigned it now um, with uh, the new Luminae restaurant, uh, which is on deck 15 as well now in the retreat area, um, the retreat lounge, 
And also she's worked very closely with Tom Wright, uh, the incredible architect um, on the resort deck area. You know, the other joy of, especially for me as a swimmer is the incredible swimming pool. It's an board. amazing, it's, it's an enormous. amazing pool. Yeah. yeah. And to be able to properly swim as, as yeah. a swimmer is really important. I love that in the mornings. And then you've got all of the sun, sun chairs all around it, all facing into the um, pool area or facing out to the ocean and just sitting there, sipping a cocktail, looking out at the ocean is, is sheer bliss. So that's all Kelly. And then the resort deck area as well, where we've got the, um, the resort deck, with the, we've got the grill restaurant, and we've got the bandstand, and all of that is an extended area. And new on beyond are these two wonderful cantilevered, uh, basically, you know, whirlpools, just hanging nicely over the edge of the, of the ship. How, how beautiful. The, um, you mentioned the retreat before. It really is one of those spaces on a cruise ship that is just incredible way to spend a day. I was lucky to spend a couple of hours in on edge when she was in, but it's such a beautiful area. That's what I love about it. I mean, when I holidayed on, on edge in July 2019, you know, you wake up, you go to the gym or do that incredible jog. Yeah. I don't jog, but a fast walk. I know you jog. Um, around the whole of the ship, seeing the sunrise, breakfast at Aqua Spa, and then going to the retreat, finding your spot. And the other thing that actually we've done a lot more now is a lot more shaded areas. That's quite a lot of feedback from our guests in both the resort deck and the retreat. You've got your own pool area there, or you can pop down to the resort deck and have a great swim in the, in the main pool. You've got your own restaurant there, your own bar area there. So it really is a ship within a ship concept, which is fabulous. Uh uh, in terms of dining, so for guests who've cruised on Edge before, presumably they'll recognise the restaurants that you have. They, they'll be some of the same on, on Beyond as well. They will. But new is um, we announced uh, the Daniel Ballou, Michelin star Daniel Ballou, the uh, Le Voyage, uh, which, I mean, he's got wonderful restaurants. And uh, it's linked to, of course, his love of travel and his passion of travel. Um, and even the journey through the restaurant, you know, you enter through one area, you exit through another. So you sort of have a whole culinary uh, journey and experience throughout the evening. Fab. Love it. Um, I should just mention Gwyneth Paltrow because uh, yeah. she is involved in Beyond as well. She is. Yes. So, so um, delighted that Gwyneth uh, has uh, agreed to be our wellness ambassador. So um, more information on uh, the partnership with Gwyneth later and the Goop Foundation. But suffice to say, we've also new to beyond, we have Aquaclass suites on board on the retreat area. Um, and we will be having uh, the Gwyneth Paltrow Goop products. And we're very much looking forward to that partnership with her. And it goes back to what you were saying about Edge, I guess, which is that it's getting people involved in cruising who haven't been involved in the past and bringing their expertise and their knowledge. Definitely, Annie. And the great thing is that they all work so well together. So, yeah. you know, all the designers work well together and they're, they've got a genuine interest in understanding uh, where we're going as a brand, the importance to us of, of inclusion as a brand, the importance to us as to our guest mix and our crew mix. And, you know, Nate Berkus was also who designed the Sunset Bar that we haven't even spoken about. There's so many areas, you see. I that know. Wonderful. Um, sunset, the Sunset Bar, which is the best place, of course, to see the sunsets. And Nate, Nate Burkes, who's been our design ambassador and has absolutely designed that, 
Um, and, you know, they all work so well together. And that's just, uh, it's, it's been great fun working with them all. It really has. There's always a bar on a cruise ship that becomes sort of the place where you go. And for me, On Edge, Sunset Bar, as you say, is one of those places. It's such a lovely, relaxed space to have a drink because the sun is setting. Yeah, yeah. And, and this again, it's just so special the way he's designed it crossing over the three decks. It's just incredible. So April uh, 2022 is uh, the date in Southampton. We look forward to seeing the ship. We wish you well for uh, for the season. I'm sorry, I f how could I have forgotten a Apex at all? But uh, good luck with Apex sailings as well this summer. And thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Andy. Thank you.